welcome to Teachers Care Society, the podcast that talks about all news and development in the educational field. We have a good show for you today as I'm joined by Montana Staub, a sixth grade teacher from Iowa, and we'll be discussing the importance of building student rapport. We'll also be discussing the easy ways to build positive relationships with your students. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome back. Today's guest is Mandana Staub, who is currently teaching in a sixth grade classroom in Iowa. So it's a pleasure and honor to have you here. And first of all, how's, um, besides teaching aside, how are you doing? How are you holding up? I'm doing well. It's definitely some crazy times, but I am making it through. <laughs> so are you teaching in person or distance learning? So I'm completely online. So as of now, our district is both distance learning and hybrid. However, my cooperating teacher and I have chosen to stay fully online this semester. Okay. All right. So how's, I mean, how's that going? Are you a tech savvy person? Yeah, um, I actually think it's not going that bad. I'm very tech savvy. I did a lot of like tech in the classroom classes. And so I can only assume that those have been really helpful. I think most of my difficulties come from my students who aren't great with technology and sort of just bridging the gap where you can there. Okay. And then you describe yourself as a flare pen enthusiast. So (laughs) what is all the hype about these pens? Because I've had several teacher friends give rave reviews about this. Uh, Yes, I love flare pens. I think they've just gotten popular within the last couple of years or so. But I love them because they're so soft to write with. And there's so many colors. i I'm pretty organized as a person with my notes and my schedules and I organize them by color most of the time. So for someone like me, I use them almost daily. (laughs) Well, for me, I'm a Frixion person. So they're these erasable pens and they go well with this thing called a rocket book. It's basically just a smart notebook. So it's easy to write and glide across all these colors. And like I said, the best part is there it's erasable. So, and then even after you use up that pen, instead of throwing it away, you can just buy the ink cartridges itself and saving the, saving the world at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) So I also see you're a Harry Potter fan as well. Do Do your students know that? Do you make them aware of that? Yes, they are very aware of my obsession. <laughs> they, yes, I talk about it probably more than they would like. But I think it's really great to be able to share your interests with your students any chance that you get. So anytime we have a chance to talk about ourselves or our interests, I try to take it and run with it, especially being online and not being able to see them. It just helps with like the classic community, but it also gives me more ideas to connect my teaching to their personal lives. Oh, that's awesome. For me, I am a big Transformers fan and my kiddos know it. And every time I bring Transformers up, you know, they generally get excited or some of them, they show me their Transformers like pictures or drawings or t-shirts or whatever merchandise they have. But um, let's, let's jump into our first topic and that's building student rapport. So given the current circumstance with the COVID-19 pandemic, there has been a lot of frustration and that is even whether you're distance learning or whether you're in person or if you're doing a hybrid. So there's, there's a lot of fr- frustration because, you know, teaching is all about human connection and all of a sudden it's been watering down and from the pure learning style that we're used to. And so these personal interactions that allow us to develop the strong student rapport with the students is, is, is kind of lost. And, you know, I could teach students how to solve math problems or write personal narratives. Um, these are very specific set of procedural concepts I could teach online. 
but I'm just really instructions, instructing students how to do these procedural steps instead of really teaching you know, the whole child approach. And so with distance learning, there were concerns about children's privacy and then about having the camera on. And I had several students who don't have their camera on for various reasons. You know, essentially, you know, we become a guest in their house when they have the camera on. And I see parents and I see teachers and they're just struggling to connect with these students. And especially a teacher friend of mine has a hard time matching the names with the faces because some of these students, they don't have the cameras on. And, you know, we also have students that put on different profile pic avatars or, and, you know, sometimes it's not related at all to what they actually look yeah. like. And so that can be confusing. Um, have you had situations like this where you want to connect with students, but they just don't have the cameras on? I can definitely say that I have. And it's one of those things that I think is honestly a large negative about online learning. And I completely understand, you know, the reasons for allowing cameras off for the sake of student privacy. However, it does really create a whole new class or management issue for teachers. Like, are your students engaged? Are they paying attention? Are they even on the other side of the screen? I know I've had a couple of times <laughs> where I've said a student's name and I'm like, hello, hi, hello, friend. And they just don't respond. And so at that point, it's kind of like, what do you do? You know? <laughs> and so I think the most important thing that I've come to realize is that when you're on Zoom, my students need to be constantly engaged. I say even more than when we're in the classroom. I think constantly checking for understanding has also been a great tool to not only keep everyone on the same page, but to make sure everyone's there and paying attention. And so I definitely utilize like the Zoom chat and Zoom reactions. And I'd say for my group of students, it's definitely helped to sort of keep them on track and sort of keep them in the loop and not just be talking to them the entire time. I definitely like the use of the Zoom chat, um, especially for those shy students who don't want to have the camera on or even have the mic off at the same time. And for me, one of my main objectives that I have within the first two months um, is repeating the student's name as often as I can. I, I want to make that eye contact. Essentially, I just want to match the faces with the names like we would in person. And now with this whole distance learning, even if the students have the camera on and whatever video platform you're using, whether it's Zoom or Google Meets, you have this grid view and you have all these faces on like this 11 by 15 screen. And it is really hard trying to do this eye contact because I could say a student's name to let them know I'm talking to them. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't match. I'm looking at their face, but the camera is above here at the top of the mm -hmm. screen. And so it's, it's, it's awkward. I am trying to trying to make that eye contact, that connection with the students. Um, I mean, for you, how important is it to have eye contact? Um, I would say it used to be a lot more important to me until I started doing online learning. I used to be very much, I need eyes on me. I need everyone to be focused, but you kind of just don't have that ability to make sure that kids are doing that with online. And so I think that actually really weirded me out at first because I felt like I was talking to myself, especially when they wanted all their cameras off. I kind of just felt like I was talking to my computer. And so it was definitely something I had to learn to get used to, but now I think it's okay. Like I understand it's not always easy to show your face on screen and it can definitely cause some anxiety. So it makes me feel better that they're more comfortable with it off. If I had it my way, we'd all be able to see each other. Cameras would be on and it would be as close as it could be to that traditional classroom setting. But it's just one of those things where given the circumstances, it just can't happen. And so I kind of had to adjust my expectations. Yeah. So it's, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of adjusting. And I mean, even um, even when it comes to memorizing a student's name, uh, 
I know with sixth grade, it can be a big classroom. I, I currently teach special ed, so I have a class of 10. And so memorizing names wasn't too hard in the beginning. And there was mm-hmm. a lot of uh, rules, going over the rules and going back to the eye contact. I always said, oh, show me those watching eyes and have them point to their eyes and have them look at me or show me those listening ears. It's always those those kind of rules. But in a sixth grade classroom, do you have a special way of memorizing all the students' name? I know it can be a bit daunting. Yeah, you know, surprisingly enough, I don't have any specific way of memorizing student names. Um, I think it's extremely helpful that their names pop up under their pictures in Zoom, or if they had their cameras off, they would just say their names. But I'd say I memorize the students' names so quickly because of our small groups and checking attendance for that. So the way we have it set up, we currently have a classroom of uh, 26 students. And so we do... uh, four groups of small class or a small group for ELA and for math. And so most of our synchronous time is in small groups. And so it helps to be able to focus on specific sets of names throughout the day. Oh, okay. That doesn't, doesn't sound too bad. Um, I had a teacher friend who would challenge her class in this name memorizing game. And so essentially the way it worked is she, she would challenge her students saying that she can memorize all 28 of their names faster than any other student in that class. And basically she would have these speed like challenge rounds throughout the day. And if she got a name wrong, then that means she would do a push up for every incorrect name that she had. Now she didn't make the students do push ups if they got it wrong, but she did like having that, that challenge. And she always said like, Oh, I'm trying to get in shape. And so this, is one way of doing it and you know it, it was it seemed like a fun way of doing it and yeah. when when I was in her classroom for I, I was a I was visiting that classroom. She joined me in on the that session, and she says, "I will make you do push-ups, but for every name you get wrong, I'll I'll do a push-up." And I did horribly. <laughs> so she ended up doing like twenty push-ups, but it was fun. It was fun. You know, games are a great way of putting rapport, and um, these games don't always have to be academic related. It could be something simple like you know, aim or what are your likes, what are your dislikes, what do you want to do in the future, and so it's all part of the social emotional learning. Mm-hmm. Do you use games in building rapport with your students? Yeah, definitely. I think that it's one thing that I can say is that online learning has definitely pushed me to be more creative with my online learning games. So my students love Kahoot. So we would probably do one at least once a week. And I also use games regularly just to make connections from our readings to the real world. So an example I have is we were reading about money and its origins. So I found this interactive game that we played as a class where we planned out our life and how we wanted to live, what kind of place we wanted to live in, the food that we would be eating. And we found out how much it would cost to live that lifestyle. And it's stuff like that, that I think students, especially my older students, like sixth graders can really get into because it means something to them. And it's directly correlated with their own lives. It's starting to think about their future. And we also love making connections to games during our readings that we can. So another example is my students love Minecraft and Fortnite. And so when we had our vocabulary word of inventory, we made a connection to how they have inventories in the game and what that might mean. And so I think definitely making connections and playing games with your students is a great way to build that rapport. Yeah, you're right. Wow. Uh, Minecraft and Fortnite. I've been seeing that a, a lot. And oh, yeah. every, time we, every time kids talk about it, I'm like, that's great. That's awesome. Or I'll just, uh, you know, what's your favorite character? And I'll just like, that, you know, that's great. But I don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, yeah, gamification is a great way of you know maximizing the you know, student participation and current students who want to participate because, you know, the fun nature of, of the game. 
And I know there are popular game style quizzes like Kahoot and Game, game Kit, same a few, but I also like changing up their overall uh, game style to fit in with the needs and interests of my students. Like, for example, I have a few kids that like Temple Run, mm-hmm. the Temple Run style game, where like the running at the hop and move, yeah. maneuver around these obstacles. So there's this feature in Yearpod called Time to Climb, where the students pick their own animal avatar and Basically, they get a point uh, depending on how fast they answer the correction. They answer the question correctly. And every round of questions, the character runs up a hill or a mountain uh, based on the amount of points they receive for that round. So the more points they receive, then the further their characters climb the mountain. So my students get a real good chuckle out of seeing their avatars run up the mountains. And I think it's, I think it's so funny watching the little avatars run up the mountain. <laughs> my students are saying, go, 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 go. And it, it's really cute. <laughs> And when I worked with the oldest students, uh, I had a majority of the students that liked their own kind of like choose your own adventures type of games. And so I did games where it's kind of like work at your own pace and choosing your own pathway and working at your your whatever pathway you choose. And so I think that was called deck toys. And basically, you know, I could see the progress of other students are working at so instead of saying you have to start with this first they could choose oh i want to start maybe with this problem first and then i'll work on this one and essentially they get to choose whether they want to start with a difficult or a medium an easier problem or whatever comfortable level they chose and so basically just giving them their you know their, their, their freedom yeah and so how do you choose which game activities to use with your students So in my case, I think one of the best things about teaching sixth grade is that they've done this before. They have been to school for so long and they played so many different games that they know what they like and they don't like. So I have no problem with going to my students and saying, what kind of stuff do you guys want to see? And I think this is really important because it only assures that I'm doing stuff that they enjoy, but also that they get a sense of ownership over their learning and they get to, when when it's their time to make these choices, they get to make those choices and they get to have small aspects of their education that they're in control of. And I always tell my students that if they want to do something, then they can just tell me and I'll find a way to make it work because I want to teach to them that there's so many different ways to learn and take in information. And there's not just this one way to learn. And so allowing those students to make the choice and have control over their learning can also help build that independence, which is extremely important in sixth grade because they're going to be needing that when they move on to junior year and high school year. And so it's just really important that I let them have that kind of ownership over what they want to do. Well, that's great. Yeah. Independence is everything. You know, even from the younger age, you also want to teach some kind of independence. Exactly. Yeah. And one thing that I think is often overlooked is just interactions. And I know teachers stress about trying to get through all this content. Uh-huh. I have to get through this all by the end of the day, or I have to get this all by state testing and all this content that I have in the lesson plans and curriculum for state standards says, and they just essentially forget to leave out any interactions. And so even with distance learning, you got to carve out some time of the day to emphasize active learning and, and this means asking how their day went, what's going on, what they do on the weekend, what are they struggling with, what do they need help with? You know, just don't be that type of teacher who's just like an ATM machine spooling out all this, all this content, okay. all this, as fast as you can, as much as you can. Take time out of your day to interact with the students, and you know, it doesn't really. It's not really considered an interaction if you know if you're the only one talking. You think about that 
teacher or student talk ratio, you want students to talk at least 50% of the time. Otherwise Mm -hmm. it is not really an interaction. And for you, what have you found out that works best when interacting with your students? And do you leave time in the day to just chat and interact with them? Yeah. Um, this is probably one of my biggest complaints I have about online teaching. And it's just the way that our days are set up. We have 30 minutes for morning meeting where all of our students are present. And then we have those 20 minutes, small groups for ELA and math. And then we have interventions in the afternoon. So realistically, that gives us no time to just have authentic conversations with the way that our pacing guides are set up. And so I noticed this probably within the first couple of weeks of school that I wasn't really getting to know my kids. And I sort of came over this realization as I was planning my lesson. And I had to think to myself, like, how can I make this lesson more relatable? And after asking myself that, I realized that there wasn't enough that I knew about my students to make that connection. And so, I mean, we had our state actually started school two weeks late because of COVID. And with everything online, just missing those couple of months from last year as well, I felt like I was in hyperdrive mode, just trying to push out (laughs) curriculum, trying to give them all the information I can, trying to catch them back up to where they should be. And I think I just got so caught up in giving them that material and hoping that it made sense rather than building that community that I honestly so needed before any of the learning was even had. So I will say I've gotten a lot more mindful about making time to get to know my students. And I can say as soon as I made that a mission of mine, my engagement went up drastically. So even if it means putting the curriculum to the side for a little bit and really focusing on getting to know my students, I think it makes, I think it makes all sorts of change. Yeah, that's, that brings up a good point. And so with those whole like interactions, I always, the analogy that I give with my students is, you know, you have two options is like, you know, you can be like going at a grocery store and have that self checkout where you, all right, I'm comfortable. I feel independent. I can do this all on my own. And then you could also go up to the clerk or the cash register where you need help, you know, from the teacher or whatever, you know, all that interaction right there. And uh-huh. it's, it's different for everybody. And so with distance learning, there's still ways that you can interact with the students. Uh, you can still have the office hours, uh-huh. you know, once you're, you know, set life session is over, you still stay after and students want to say hello or even the families if they want to say hello. Um, because I know families are struggling as well. And I'm aware of some of the students who might be alone, especially if they take on parental duties, taking care of the younger siblings, which is mm-hmm. a huge responsibility. Sometimes they just want to chat or sometimes even after our live sessions are over, uh, I'll stay online. And if they want to work on a homework that I signed for independent work, they can, you know, they can do it with me there and you know, they don't have to have the camera on. Mm-hmm. They don't have to have the mic on as well. They could just want that interaction with me there. And you know, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's, it's very important for them as well. Yeah. Do you, do you have some sort of office hours where students or even just families can stop by and just say hello? Yeah, we do. And I was actually surprised that most students, I don't think, are really comfortable with jumping into those office hours. At least my students have kind of been only using them for technology questions or issues, but they're very responsive to emails. And so I probably email with my kids. I probably have like 50 emails a day of just conversations (laughs) and getting to talk to them and them showing me maybe something that they drew this week that they really are excited about or that they're going to go camping this weekend. And so it's this time that I can use asynchronously to get to know my students. And I've also done lessons outside of curriculum just to sort of 
supplement some of the stuff that they may have not gotten during the fifth grade. And so I would definitely say during those, I was, I've actually told them before I say, okay, well, if you guys don't have any questions, then you guys can go ahead and hop off and I'll sit there and none of them will hop off. <laughs> and I'll be like, okay, um, do you guys just want to sit around and chat? And then they're all just, yeah, yes, please. And so I just think they're craving that personal connection and craving that sort of human interaction, which I can agree with. I'm in the exact same boat. I'm so used to being around people and now I'm home every single day. I just look at computers and my dog and I want to be out there. And so I think giving them that time to not only interact with me as a teacher, but interact with their peers is so mm-hmm. great for them. Yeah, you, yeah, you're right. You totally, I mean, sometimes they don't want to talk with me and sometimes they do want to talk with their other peers. <laughs> and this is the only time that they get to do it. So it's, it's, you got to take that into consideration. And yeah. even, like, even if students or even the families can't meet you during these office hours, I, I like how you mentioned, like you said, like send like 50 emails a day or you receive 50 emails a day. Mm-hmm. You can send some emails out and messages out to families, which they can access whenever they have the time. And a thing that I've been really big into recently is video emails. And so I think some of the ones I use are video ask and, and called bomb bomb where they have this interactive template. So you send a video email, they can respond back and they have the option of either responding back through text, audio or video. And one of my teacher friends had one of her students who couldn't show off her, her birthday to class that day. So she wasn't able to join that, that live session. And so she had the students create all these individual five second clips and she would collect them all and kind of create this video collage and she sent that student the happy birthday video on that. Mm-hmm. that. That was, you know, a great way instead of, uh, you know, if, you know, in classroom, maybe sometimes you would have them all sign a card, but in this case, you know, each student was able to record their own video section and create it all and put it as one big video and send it. So that was pretty neat. Yeah. And yeah. So, and then how do you engage when students are not able to join those live instructions? I think just trying to be as available as I can be for them. Cause at this age, I would say that they're all pretty independent. And so when they are doing those asynchronous learning and they're not face to face with me online, then I kind of just let them go off on their own. And in the event that something's confusing or they need help, or I want to reach out to them, then just being available to talk to them is always great. Having their fellow peers or other students reach out to them and talk to them. I think just trying to create as much as you can of that authentic classroom. Yeah. And another thing with building student rapport, which I think kind of is often overlooked is, you know, building student rapport through humor, just having fun. So whether you're laughing with the students, that's something silly that happened or even laughing at yourself. Um, There's lots of jokes with tech technology now. And so this is two things. One, it shows that, you know, shows the students that you're human, that you make mistakes and it's good to have a laugh when things don't quite go your way. And the second thing it does is shows off your personality. Again, don't be a robot or don't be an ATM machine that's just mm-hmm. spewing out as much content as you can. And if humor doesn't come naturally your way, that's fine. I know not everyone's a, a comedian. So there are other avenues of introducing humor in the class and you can introduce humor through other content like videos or props or the stories basically in the lesson plans that you have. And so mm-hmm. I could play silly movement songs with my class or read a funny story um, or even have a puppet do something silly. And so luckily my students find my type of humor funny, <laughs> which helps out. <laughs> I know there's always, I know there's always a joke uh, when my teacher friends tell me, 
That's like if I wasn't a teacher, you know, I'd be a great comedian. <laughs> do, you, do you use uh, humor in your classroom? I use it all the time. <laughs> I always say it's a good thing that I work with kids because I have the humor of a child. I love being goofy. I love letting loose with my kids, even if it means I'm like kind of the butt end of the joke, which in sixth grade, <laughs> I will say almost happens all the time. I'm sort of the goofy teacher that <laughs> we can kind of pick on, which is good. I love doing that. So I would think that I'm pretty trendy as well. I'm kind of a younger teacher. And so I know what the kids are kind of into nowadays. And so I try my best to sarcastically use their lingo or make connections to stuff like a lot of TikTok references lately. <laughs> so any chance I can get to make my students laugh and enjoy myself is worth taking. And you want them to have fun. You don't want them feeling like because it's not in person, we can't enjoy ourselves. And it's part of letting them know that I care about them and I want them to be happy. And in times like this, I think it's important to learn. But I also think it's important to let them know that there's people who are there for them because it's actually something that means a lot to me because quarantine for me has been really difficult. As I kind of said earlier, I'm someone who really craves that human interaction and I really want to be around people and I love being around people. But in working from home all week, I never really get to leave the house unless necessary. And I've lost a lot of that person interaction. So I know how hard it is. And I'm an adult. Like I can't imagine being a kid right now and feeling all those emotions and most likely not even really being able to register what that feeling is. Just having that sadness of not being able to see their friends and being in that traditional classroom. And so any moment we can sort of take a break of the, from the serious of life because right now it feels like life is extraordinarily serious all the time. And so just being able to take a break from that and just being able to enjoy each other's company is so fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And just like humor is great. And, you know, even kids are funny between themselves. And I mm -hmm. see all the funny interactions <laughs> that they have during recess, during lunch, on the playground. And they're funny individuals. And I get a good laugh out of, you know, some of the stuff that they say or some of the stuff that they believe, or even just their, their reason, uh, their logic. And yes. so. <laughs> That humor is for me as well. I miss the, the humor from the kids. And one of the most important things for me also is looking for the good in students and essentially rewarding them because uh -huh. they need that feedback. Even families need that feedback. I, I just had back to school night recently and I praised the parents. I said, yeah, I praise all the families. Like you all doing an amazing job given the pandemic, like you're putting all that work. And so I, I made the comments that like, even after our live session is over, I see all the work that you're putting in. I see that you're, you're going over the content after sessions over or you're doing the content and the weekends. And mm -hmm. I need to acknowledge all their hard work in, in anything, whether it's academic, whether it's behavior and just effort. And so I try and reward them as much as I can. And, you know, especially if you have students that need more prompting and need more directing, I praise them when they listen. I praise them when they follow the expectations, when they, mm -hmm. when they follow the rules. And, and this can go a long way because again, they're not in person. They're with me. And so that whole human interaction that you know, me like, wow, awesome. I'm, I'm really proud of you. It, it's not the same when you're doing it through a computer screen. Mm -hmm. And I try and send home positive notes to the families about their children, you know, and it further cements that positive behavior that we want and their children. So again, uh, going back to the video emails, um, I, I want to start sending home letters as well mm -hmm. and just trying to give all that praise. Do you give a lot of praise to your students? 
Yeah, I'm actually a huge believer in positive reinforcement. I had recently gone to this professional development that was truly inspiring. The speaker discussed the research behind compliments and authentic feedback and how truly important it is for a student's psyche. So not only that, but how if your compliments aren't authentic, just like the simple good job, nice try, that kind of stuff, that it actually is damaging to student self-esteem. And so I focus a lot on reinforcing stimulus, which for those of you who don't know, it's just bigger words for addressing the action I want to reinforce. And so if Johnny is visibly focused on his task, I might say, you know what? Thank you so much, Johnny, for staying focused. I really appreciate your hard work. That way I address the student by name, number one. I explain the action that I'm seeing and enjoying and I'm honoring the student's achievement because this is so much more effective than just saying, good job, Johnny, because the student and his peers around him are understanding the expectation that I'm setting. And it also feels good for the student who I'm complimenting because it lets him know that they're doing a good job and it lets the students around that student understand my expectation. And so like, as you've said, you have those students who may struggle and need to be redirected or prompted. So when you do what, when you say what is expected, it goes back to that being an achievement and wanting to achieve that. And we all want praise for achievements. I mean, I do, and I'm 22 years old. I can't imagine being 10 and (laughs) craving that sort of praise. You're uh, you're totally right about just not using this generic praise and really being specific with their action. Because, you know, if I say good job, then the students are like, good job doing what? Like I'm doing a hundred different things. Good job. What, picking my nose or good job? Exactly. Like <laughs> listening to the teacher. Yeah. So, yeah. And then also even saying the name like, oh, I like how, you know, Sarah is, you know, working quietly and something like that. You know, signaling out the students, like the, the students doing what is expected of it. And then it also signifies to the other students, oh, I like how, you know, Sarah's getting the praise. I want to get praise too. Let me, let me follow Sarah's, uh, you know, let me follow her as well. And even with the redirecting, the prompting of the students that need it, I also don't want to exclude out, you know, I'm using quotes here, the good students. And so, because yeah. they, they need praise as well. I, I know that they might not get as much praise because they're doing what's expected of them, but because they're constantly or frequently following directions and turning in assignments, but they need praise too. We need to recognize their accomplishments and their accomplishments might be different from the rest of the students. Mm-hmm. And so let's, let's recognize their, uh, some of their lesser known accomplishments. So yeah, maybe I have students that are frequently turn in their assignments, but they're a little bit shy. So you might say, Oh, I like how you, know, you spoke up. And so compliments and acknowledge their other, um, achievements that they might not normally get recognized for. Um, I mean, how do you give equal attention to everyone and how do you do that praise? Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you brought this up because I like to me, it's just so important. You want to praise students in all different aspects of their being. And you spoke a little bit about this earlier about the whole brain child. And it's just so true. Kids are developing in so many different ways. And we as educators need to honor every aspect of that. So say I have a student who is a model reader, but not so hot in math. If they're only getting compliments in reading, they're going to start comparing those different learning achievements And worse, they're going to start resenting that topic. I mean, I had plenty of teachers who had made math miserable for me through elementary (laughs) school. And I was always advanced in reading groups. 
So there was no question why as I continued my education, I loved reading in English, but absolutely dreaded going to my math classes. <laughs> but I often ask myself, if I had the same praise in math that I did for my reading, how would I feel about math today? And thinking back, I really think that it could have made a big difference. And now like on the topic of equal attention, I think that it's just something that you always have to be thinking about. I'm sure almost every class has one student or a couple of students who just never really seem to find themselves getting in trouble. And I'm sure it's easy to make positive examples out of them or to overlook them because you're focusing on students who maybe need that redirection. But that in itself is not only damaging for students who don't ever receive that praise, but it's also damaging for the students who are constantly receiving that praise. And this isn't something that can really be translated in the classroom, but I've gotten into the habit of writing down my students' names and tallying every time I give them praise. And it's just something small that I can to ensure that I'm giving equal amount of praise to everyone and I'm addressing everyone's student achievements. Wow. Quite impressive. Um, as, as we wrap this episode up, is there any advice that you would give into new incoming teachers or even just those of thinking of entering the educational field? Yeah, for sure. You know, this year, <laughs> I think we can all agree is nothing like we had thought it was going to be. I mean, I did not expect this to be how I started my career. And it's just one of those things you could never prepare yourself for. I would have never thought that we would be in the middle of a global pandemic with in the middle of an election, in the middle of all this social stuff going on. I mean, it's just been a crazy year. And if I can really speak to one thing, it would just be to take care of yourself. I think... Teachers have this amazing way of nurturing their students as if they're their own. And when you get in that mode of constant caregiving, you often forget that you need to be cared for as well. And so taking that time to register your own feelings and making sure you take care of them is just so important. And honestly, I'm so just proud and I'm so humbled to be a part of such a resilient occupation because teachers are flipping awesome. I mean, <laughs> we deal with a lot from day to day. And I think that we're just so resilient. And I think during this whole process, it's really shown how much teachers really care for their students. And I mean, I also want to say thank you for having me. I mean, this has been such an awesome conversation. I think all of us can have really learn a lot from having these kind of conversations. Of course. And with that said, um, well, this has been another episode of Teachers Care Society. I want to thank you to our guests, Matona Staub, and most importantly, you, the listeners. See you next time. 